Hi, I'm Jason Stacy, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 111 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host, and this podcast is sponsored by Slinger Bag. Have you tried a Slinger Bag yet? Do you have any questions about it? Feel free to reach out to me with your questions, or you can DM the Slinger Bag team on Instagram or check out their site at slingerbag.com. I'm here to help always. Today, I'm speaking to Jason Stacy. Jason is the performance coach for Arena Sabalenka, who has recently hit a career high world number three in the WTA ranking. He talks about his journey to working with Arena, his training philosophy, and his learnings from over 25 years working with high performance athletes and world champs. It's a super chat and there's plenty of knowledge in there. Here we go. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm excited to have a chat and catch up. And thanks for having me on here, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I love it. <laughs> Great. Thanks for jumping on. Maybe, actually, let's start with you giving us a quick background on exactly what you do. I know you from working with Sabalenka. That's where I saw your videos. Then I see your your own animal flow videos, which I think are great. So I love them. And that's really my connection. As with a lot of our guests, it's always through my Instagram account, Functional Tennis. But maybe you can just give us a quick backdrop on yourself. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, as a performance coach, fitness coach, I've been in the industry for about 25 years um, as an allied health professional as well. So, I mean, I started out as a massage therapist and personal trainer, then I became an athletic trainer and a strength coach. And just over the years, just, you know, developing more, more skills and building the toolbox as I go. And like I said, I've been doing that professionally for about 25 years. I've worked in a number of environments from working in inpatient hospital care, like people with, you know, serious, you know, physical injuries, learning how to walk again, learning how to feed themselves. I spent a number of years in the 90s working with, um, in, a, in a medical clinic, working with HIV and AIDS patients, like just helping with their general health and well-being. And so quite a diverse, and this was in the 90s when everyone was like terrified of, you know, HIV and AIDS. Um, and I was doing massage with them, doing fitness with them, just getting them, you know, to take care of their general health as best as we can. But most of my career, I've been working with athletes of varied levels from junior to, you know, semi-pro to professional and in a variety of sports and in a variety of countries. But I've also, I mean, when I say I did this professionally for 25 years, you know, since I was, you know, could walk, basically, I've been involved in martial arts. So even like as a, you know, an older teenager and stuff, I was teaching martial art classes and fitness classes at the gyms. And so it's just been a part of my life forever, just movement and fitness and, you know, taking that sort of I mean, with my training style, I like, and my coaching style it is very influenced by the martial arts and that, in, the, in the sense that I take this holistic approach. Like, it's always really about developing the person, not just, you know, everyone could get faster and stronger and learn a technique, right? But it's also about, like, developing that resiliency, developing that mindset, you know, being able to manage your emotions and understand and be self-aware. That's what real martial arts is about. And so, you know, I like to incorporate that with all my coaching. But as far as the, the work goes, like I said, a little over, you know, 25 years or so, Lots of you know environments. I've helped a number of athletes become you know world champions in a variety of sports, you know, Olympic medals in a, in a few different sports, from dancing, you know, from table tennis, dancing, combat sports, uh, swimming, gymnastics. I mean, I've been yeah, I've been around, <laughs> been around quite a bit. And and one of, like, one of the things with my story, like people seem to always bring up or ask when they when they know me better, have heard me speak somewhere, is that I was from about thirteen to about sixteen years old, I was homeless, like I was living on the streets by myself. 
I didn't finish high school. In fact, the only, the last grade I officially finished was eighth grade. But yet, you know, I, I survived all that. I got off the streets. And as a young adult, I put myself back through school and you know, I always knew what I wanted to do. And I always, you know, I knew that the things that my environment wasn't who I was. It was just something that happened to me. And I was just, you know, surviving and, and getting through that. And, um, you know, I've gone from that to, you know, getting everything I have by just putting in the effort, putting in the work. And, and then now, I mean, now that I'm almost 50, I'm 47 now, but like I try to take a lot of the things that lessons I've learned from my own life, as well as, like I said, the martial art background and, and really instill that in the people I work with to, to let them know that, look, you know, life is tough, but where you are now has nothing to do with who you are and where you can end up. You know, you just have to know that you can do the work. And, and if you find the right environment and you create that environment and you surround yourself by the right people, then, you know, literally anything is possible. So I guess that's the, that's the shortest version I could come up with. <laughs> That's a good version. No, it sounds having that experience in your corner for the athletes is a huge advantage. But before we talk about your athletes, the Olympics right now, all the sports you mentioned, they're all Olympic sports. Are you hooked to the TV? Yes and no. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I get very uh, emotionally like connected into this, you know, these, these mo moments. And I tell you, can really wear you out if you're watching so much of it every day. <laughs> so I am. But I've been, I, I, to be honest, this, this, this Olympics, I've been kind of almost like micro dosing myself sort of in and out, like just watching some highlights, then watching the, you know, one match and then going to another sport and taking a breather and taking a break. And then I'll check the app. So, you know, I, I love the, you know, that emotion of it. And for me, I, I probably nowadays, I enjoy that seeing how the, the athletes are sort of their body language and their interaction with the others around them before they compete. And then right after they compete, you know, whether they win or lose, I like to watch those moments where no one's really looking, you know what I mean? So for me, uh, for me, the Olympics, that's a big part is obviously the event you get excited, but I really get interested personally watching them sort of before and right after they compete just to see how they, you know, how are they breathing their posture, their expressions, how they interact, you know, how their body language is around other people, how they interact with their team and their coach or their other competitors. So for me, I feel that's like a, a great opportunity when you have so many sports going on at once because they all have different sort of environments and different languages that they use and, you know, different team structures. And so I like to see how that kind of flows. And, and, and I think that's where a lot of the, the quote unquote, you know, secrets, you know, that, you know, that lies is in those places where no one's really looking, you know, they're not looking, everyone's looking at that excitement part, the, the actual competition. So for me, it's a huge opportunity to be able to see all these little moments in a lot of different environments. So I love it. I love it. <laughs> and from looking at it, do you think that there's something different about the, the successful athletes, the one who are picking up the goals or the one who are getting PBs from those moments before and after? Have you picked up anything? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously those, there's a couple of things that I've noticed over the years that I've also, you know, tried to apply. And, and, and also, to be honest, even speaking to my athletes and other coaches of different sports to find out if, one, they were aware of the things they were doing, and two, if they were, like, what, you know, how they learned this and how do they apply it and what is it, you know? And, you know, I mean, a couple of basic things is just, you can, again, I don't know if there's a general specific, you know, overview of this is the thing that differentiate, you know, A versus B, because I think it is, it'll be a very individual, not just for the person, but also in that moment, you know, because we all can, you know, there's different times where we might need more arousal, more this, more that. But a couple of things is, uh, it looks to me in my own experience, personally, even when I've competed um, doing other sports is, is the person who can control their breathing, you know, control their heart rate, sort of manage their energy, you know, the physical and sort of emotional energy. Um, they seem, I think, to do the best. Same with the people I think who can manage their, their, the noise going on in their head. And cause there's always going to be noise. You can't get rid of it. You know, like if you try to get rid of all that noise that's going on, like the self doubt, the resistance, the questioning things, the, the nerves, the, the cameras in front of you, the, the, you know, whatever it is, the more you try to 
get rid of that stuff, the stronger it gets. You actually, you're fueling that fire, right? So it's learning how to like, you can see the people who like, who's managing their breathing, who you can see a look at that look in their eye and their facial expressions, like the ones that are really focused and just getting in, in, in you know, into themselves and you know, really internal and just quieting the noise, getting that one thing that they've been taught to focus on, you know, that might vary with different people. Some of them might be a music, some of them might be some sort of mantra they repeat in their head. Others might be a breathing pattern they follow. Some of them might be visualizing something. Like there's a lot of different tactics, you know, techniques that you can use. But the whole idea, I can I can tell the people who are really, you can see that they're they're really focusing in on one thing, right? Because if, if your brain and your mind is focused on that one thing, it can't focus on more than one thing at a time, right? So you have that one focus, it helps turn the noise down on everything else. Like I like to use the analogy of like a dimmer switch or a volume control. Like you're not going to, it's not an on-off switch. You can't turn off the noise, right? But you, what you can do is kind of control how bright or how loud it is. And you do that by having that one focus. And, and I can just see the people like, you can see how they're breathing. You can see their posture. I can see what their eyes are doing if they're looking all over the place, you know? And, and so I, I think that's a big part is the person who can, who can manage their energy best. Necessarily mean they're going to win or lose, but they're the ones that are giving themselves the best chance to perform their best in that moment. I guess that, that's how I might put it. Yeah, that's the way I was trying to word it. They may not win, but they're, they're doing their best they can. They're putting themselves in the best position. There are the people who go there, maybe they're, you know, they're, they're just privileged to be there and you probably see them getting up on the swim and about to jump in and they're looking everywhere. They're excited. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but maybe to them, that's, that's as good as they wanted it. Like, yeah, so everybody has their personal journey and highs and highs and lows but it, yeah be, I say anyway it's an amazing thing for these athletes to be at the Olympics surrounded by other great athletes and even coach um, you're a coach if you were there you're learning from other coaches of course and they say like I've heard a few of them talk about the gyms there these massive gyms and just going mm. in there and they say like <laughs> it, the fire the intensity in there is unbelievable yeah, absolutely. I mean, it'd be a huge event. I've had opportunity to go to four different Olympics now, but I've always chosen not to go. Like I could have, I could have gone to this Olympics, but I've, you know, I have a young family now and I was on the road for like almost five months. And so I had some things at home to take care of and our move, you know, we're in the process of trying to move and haven't seen my kids and stuff in like four or five months. And so I took the grass court season off, just do online coaching. So we just video chat every day um, and just skip the Olympics which is fine. For me, it's, you know, I have to have that, find that balance somewhere. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, look, I've always heard nothing but amazing, you know, stories from just the experience, just being there. You know, like I said, that's, it's a huge thing. You know, you spend so much time, energy and sacrifice just to, for a lot of these sports. You know, tennis is a little different, but a lot of these sports, this is their, their moments. You know yes. what I mean? <laughs> it's amazing. It's madness. And just jumping back to your, you know, remove, well, not calming down all the externals coming in. It's, it's like meditation, really. I think a lot of people feel meditation is where you're shutting everything down. You don't really shut everything down in meditation. You're trying to control everything and let the thoughts go by. Maybe yeah. not the same, but it's hmm. sort of, you can never get to that state where you feel nothing. It's only, yeah, you know. Course. So anyway, yeah, you know, it's it's very interesting what you say there. But let's let's move on to tennis. How did you get involved working with tennis players? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's probably like a lot of the sports I got into. Like I, I was, and, and I mean, obviously it's a tennis podcast, so no offense to anyone, but I was never, before getting on the tour, I was never involved in tennis. I wasn't, I never watched it. I wasn't a fan. I never played it. I wasn't not, like not a fan. I just never really was involved in any level with it. And, you know, occasionally would watch here and there, but nothing really major. And I've been on the tour. So I went from no tennis to being on the tour <laughs> for now. It's probably about 15 years or so, I think. Yeah, about 15 years or so. I've been, and I've worked with, you know, a number of the athletes, you know, I've consulted with a number of, you know, top 20, top 10 players. Um, I've helped a lot of juniors 
get their, you know, their first points. I've helped a lot of guys come from like three, four, five hundred to like top 50, top 30. So I've been around, you know, I, I just don't really, I mean, I'm not a huge social media like person, you know, just yet I'm trying, but uh, not very consistent with it. But um, how I started is I had a, um, I was living in Australia at the time. I'm, I'm American, but I was back then I was living in Australia in the process of moving back to the States with my wife. And um, I have a, a close friend who his close friend was a tennis coach. Right. And so he thought, hey, you know, I'm going to go to the Australian Open and watch, you know, this player like, you know, they, they, you know, he knew since he was a kid and I could visit Jason at the same time. And so when they were over here visiting for the Australian Open, our mutual friend found out like, well, this player was looking to, you know, he's getting rid of his physio and strength coach and, you know, was looking for whatever else. And, you know, because we had mutual friendships, I didn't really know them very well, but, you know, they knew what I did and my history and my experience. And, and my, our mutual friend was like, hey, you know, I think Jason's thinking about moving back. He was based in the U.S., moving back to the States. And, you know, I don't know what he's doing. So let's see if, he, you know, let's, let's have a chat with him. And so I met up with them. They said, hey, they asked if I was interested in trying out, you know, working with some tennis players. And I was like, well, sure. I mean, why not? Let's go check it out. So I flew over to the States early, did like a little mini camp with two of these uh, players. It was Dmitry Tursunov and Igor Kunitsin. Pardon me. I think Tursunov at the time might have been like 80 in the world or something. I, I can't remember. It was, like I said, way too long ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Kunitsa was a little bit high, you know, you know, lower ranking than that. But um, we, we spent a few weeks together doing some training. Um, they really liked what I was doing with them. They felt really good. They felt like it was going to be very helpful. So they asked me if I'd be interested in trying some tournaments. Because again, it's different, you know, on the road than it is, you know, just in a gym training. Camp's very easy, you know what I mean? But when you're traveling, it's a much different world. So I was like, yeah, let's have a go and see what happens. And, um, you know, it, it worked out really well. I really enjoyed that, that environment of the, the, there's a lot of variables that we can't control. But they're important variables like the schedule and the timing and the travel. I loved it. You know, I love that, that whole idea of finding ways to work around it. And um, they were really feeling better. And, and, and previously, before I started working with these guys, they were very good athletes, but they were always injured. You know, and so there was a big part of how I was training them and, and, and how I approached their training and, and what I proposed to them to try to do. You know, they really, you know, at first they were resistant because it was so different than what tennis is supposed to do kind of thing. But what was typical, but they were noticing a difference and... Yeah. And then I just got stuck on the tour after that, like after people seeing, because I was obviously I had a different approach because I wasn't from the background doing what everyone else was doing. And my people were getting good results and consistent results. So then other players were asking and then I was working at the Russian Federation and then helping these guys. And then, and then it just grew where all of a sudden, like I, I just knew everybody and everyone knew me and they, they knew I'm pretty much like what you see is what you get. I don't, I'm not worried about keeping my job or saving my you know ego or, yeah. you know, I'm asking, I'm, I'm getting everyone involved in the process. And, and then, yeah, just, uh, I've just been there since. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, it's good to be different. You stand out, and especially if your players are getting results, then uh, I'm sure you have a lot of people knocking on your door and they're trying to figure out what you're doing as well. Did you see a lot of people sure. do your mythology on other players? Well, I mean, that does happen a lot even nowadays. You'd be surprised. Like, it, there, I remember early days, there was even a, a lot of moments where the guys wanted to always train somewhere else because everyone was always watching what we were doing. And sometimes we would even like, okay, maybe I shouldn't say this, but sometimes we would, and, and even with the arena, I would joke about maybe doing this sometimes, but um, we, we would joke in the past of like, hey, let's just come up with some crazy thing to do and just do it like for the next few days. And then just wait and see you know, how many people start doing it. Because <laughs> it would happen a lot. Because I, I mean, even back then, like I was doing a lot of suspension training stuff with them. You know, like this, this was before TRX existed. Yeah. You know, it wasn't even a company yet. Um, or if it was, it was very, you know, early years, no one really knew it. And a lot of things I was doing with them with like a lot of movement-based training and loaded movement and, you know, things I was doing, which is a little bit more consistent and more popular now, but back then it was very kind of new um, or not really around. And so half the people were like, what is this guy's, what are they doing? It's so weird. And then the other half were like, hmm, what's this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it does happen a lot. But I mean, the thing is, 
I, I don't, I used to get annoyed by that. Like people were just seeing something, copying it and like, but I've never been the type of coach where like I was thinking like, oh, it's mine. You know, this is my secret little thing and I don't want anyone to use it. Yeah. Um, but what, what I, like I do the same. I see something like you might post something on your, on your, on your Instagram page. Like, oh, that looks interesting. But for me, it would be more like, I would, I would come to you and say, Hey, I see, I saw this drill you're doing. Like, what, what were you guys working on? Like, what's the idea behind it? Like, why are you doing this? And then I might take that idea and maybe tweak it a little bit. And I talk to my players, say, Hey, listen, look, I saw this thing. I think it would be really helpful. Like we want to have a, do you want to have a trial? Let's, let's give it a go and see how you feel with it. And so I kind of have a, a reason I'm doing it, not just, it looks really cool and I'll keep it interesting for, you know, my player to think that I'm coming up with all these innovative things. And, um, that it's a, to get on a little, not, not sidetrack too much, but my, my approach, I think why I've been able to build a lot of trust in a lot of different sports and a lot of the athletes I work with is I don't pretend like I know everything. You know what I mean? I, I get them involved a lot. So, you know, for example, something might happen we might need to work on something or I'll have an idea about something. And what I'll do is I'll actually share that with everybody. I'll say, hey, I was thinking about trying this for this reason. And maybe it's another coach or another player or even my current player. And I'll say, hey, so what do you think? Have you tried this before? Have you seen this before? Or like, I have this idea, what do you think? And I just get their feedback. And a lot of people are afraid to do that, I think, because they don't want to be seen as like, by asking a question, they feel like, oh, it's going to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, for me, like you and I, if I share it, you share an idea with me, I might come up with something that you wouldn't have thought about because I have a different background and vice versa. So our one idea might turn into two or three other things that would have never existed if we, you and I didn't have a, a conversation and share this. So I, I'm happy to share and ha I like it when I see people doing our stuff. And I just, I remember, well, before the, you know, the pandemic hit, we were in Miami and I was doing these, um, these mobility drills with Arena. And the coach and I were doing all together. And it's a very, very specific thing to jujitsu, actually. But it was very, it was very involved with getting the hips mobile and strong at the same time. So because in jujitsu, it's a big thing, like it's all about the hips, right? And I thought, oh, this would be great. It's my little world. It's a little bit different, but it works really well. So it's, we'll just do this little routine. And it's, it was created by this, you know, multiple world champion jujitsu guy. It's very specific sequence, very specific movements. And no joke, the next day we go there and there's like this big open field and there was two other players doing that same routine, like it was sloppy and messy, but they're doing the exact same thing. And I know they have no idea about jujitsu and this background because it's very like, it's a very specific thing. You know what I mean? So it still happens. It still happens quite a bit. So <laughs> I don't mind though. It's whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I think you learn from other people. Let's say I'm rough example. I'm no professional athlete here, but as you hit your 30s, late 30s, the body breaks down. So there's specific, you know, there's a warm up that I do. And if I, there's six or seven exercises in there, and each one of them I've got from somebody I've learned with, trained with over the years. So sure. I think we all learn from everybody. And sometimes it's just picking one exercise from you, Jason, one from this trainer here, one from a friend, one from a physio. And all of a sudden Absolutely. that's your tool base. You're not going to build it overnight, but over five, 10 years, you get your exercise which work from you and they never come from one specific person. So I think I read somewhere, I can't remember the book. It might've been that little book of talent or something years ago. But there's a quote I really liked from Picasso. He wrote, he's like, good artists borrow, great artists steal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, we all do it. You know, you'll take something and kind of tweak it, make it your own. And that's how it evolves. And it's, it's, it's normal. It's okay. <laughs> it, no, it's, it's completely normal. And yeah, as you say, you don't pretend to know everything. And that's a bit of a secret as well, because if you pretend to know everything, you're flawed. You're a fake, really, because nobody knows everything. That's right. So I think, <laughs> well, I think that you lose trust because people start to think, uh, you know what I mean? If if I'm always yeah. if something if someone gets injured and I go, hey, I think this is what's what's wrong. I think this is what we'll do about it. But why don't we go speak to Paul, the head physio for the ATP, and see what he thinks? And Paul will say, yeah, look, like I think you're right, but 
you know, before you do what you were going to do, let's do this step first. Like, okay, great. So then my player now knows that I'm not just going to suggest anything without going through a, a process to make sure it's the right thing for them. So anytime I say, hey, we should do this, they have confidence to say, you know what? All right, I trust that. Let's do that. Yeah, so well, that's good. I think it's being important. And tell me, we did briefly mention Conor McGregor before this, before we started. <laughs> he comes from a philosophy from Edo Portal. As far as I know now, I don't know too much about it. Sure. Do you, do you look into Edo, that movement-based training he does, or is that a bit commercialized? Well, I mean, I think early days when he was first sort of like not really well known, but he was sort of out there, like he had a little bit of things out there. It intrigued me because I, I like that approach of like early, early years before his name was known. You know, I think uh, a friend of mine who's very well known in the industry had done some work with him. And so that's how I found out about him. And the thing I liked about him wasn't so much just the specific things he was doing. It was more this concept of like, everybody should move. Everybody should learn a variety of movement. Everyone should like have that sense of control and that ability to to do what, you know, you're physically capable of doing. You know, I really like that concept more than it's the specific sort of things that he does. I, I, I mean, if I was to be honest, like, I don't think I looked him up or seen what he's doing these days in the last, you know, number of years. In fact, when, when uh, what was it, maybe a couple of years ago or something, when him and Connor were doing lots of stuff online and there was like, a, he was in promo videos, like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. Like I had forgotten, you know, I haven't really looked up much of what he was doing, but um, I, 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 so I can't speak on what he's doing nowadays, but I know early days I liked his, the concept of just everyone should be moving, you know, moving, everyone should have a, a big library of movement and just get out there and just move your body and, and, and just find a way of connecting one movement from another. Because um, that's a lot of like how I like to train myself because I think it's it's good for just performance, having good strength through a range of motion, but also longevity. You know what I mean? So you can have a longer career, longer life and and, and keep moving. So yeah, I like that approach. I like that philosophy behind it. Nice. And how did you start working with Arena? Well, funny enough, it was actually from my very first tennis player, Dmitry Tursunov. So he was my first, you know, tennis pro I worked with and him and I, you know, had a long relationship, you know, off and on traveling and, and doing this and that. And he started working with her. And so at first I was working with her, but indirectly. So just through him, him and I were just talking and consulting. He was asking me questions and I'd give him some advice. And then it got to the point where it's like, okay, like enough of this consulting thing. Like, you know, we got to get you out here on the team, you know, actually working with us. And so there was a off season and it was three years ago now, I think three or so years ago. Um, it was like right when he first started working with her. I just, showed up, went to Belarus and we started training and, you know, just, it just grew from there. So that's, so it was really, you know, who I knew, <laughs> but she was still like, you know, she was still young and still a lot of things to work on. And I mean, for me, it was a great project. So I thought I was excited. I, cause I had taken some time off from full-time travel. Cause I think I mentioned before that we started, you know, I have a young family. So I, I took a little bit of time where I wasn't traveling a lot. I was doing more consulting and a little bit of travel. And, um, for me, this was a cool opportunity. So I thought, wow, how often do you get to work with someone as an athlete? for so many years. And now that athlete's a coach and now you get to work with him in that environment, you know? So just, I thought how cool that was, uh, what a good experience, you know, from both of us, because I can help him with the coaching because I have more experience of that. But he has this background of actually going through this and knowing what it feels like and, you know, how we can learn from each other and then apply that to another person. I thought, let's go for it. <laughs> so that's how it started. <laughs> She's, as of now, ranked number three in the world, single, six and doubles. Yes. Which yes. is pretty imp like pretty impressive. What's been the secret to that from your point of view? Oh man, I don't know if there's a secret. It's a lot of things. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. I think okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I would give I would give Arena um, most of the credit, even though it's a, it's been a team effort. Is that 
there's been a lot of ups and downs in the team the last few years, you know, like not, not crazy things, but just a lot of different things of, you know, of like a process of going through a lot of different stuff, you know, from her personal life as well as the professional side of things. But the biggest thing that's really clicked for us in the last, I'd say year and a half, really, maybe a little bit more now is that her willingness to be open and a little more vulnerable and a little bit more willing to do those things that she didn't maybe trust before. And, and, and I'd have to give a little background is, you know, she's in a lot of, like, like a lot of uh, people from these sort of Eastern Bloc countries, they're not, they're very suspicious of things. They're not very trusting, you know, they're, they're not very like, you know, willing to do things, you know, um, I shouldn't say willing to do things. They're, they're very hard workers, but you know what I mean? They have like a, a very standoffish personality. There's a big wall, very thick, giant wall in front of you, between them and you, and, and they always keep that there. <laughs> so, but her, the difference was, is her, her really, her ability to, 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 be willing to listen to what we had to say and offer and then really take it to heart and, 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 and try and just to go, look, you know what? I'm going to leave myself out there. I'm going to open myself up and I'm going to, I'm just going to jump head first and see what happens. So that, that's one of the things. I think the other is just, especially like I said, more recent times is, I mean, I think Dimitri started with her. He did an amazing job with showing her like she really has that ability, given her that belief. Like she always believed in herself, I'm sure. Like, you know, it, it wasn't a question of, but that different kind of, like that real true internally, like realized like, wow, I do have this ability. I can do this. And I think she, he really helped her like realize that and help her see that, you know, there's more to tennis than just closing your eyes and hitting the ball as hard as you can. There's a little bit more there, you know? And so that was the first part. And then, and more recently, the approach that I've, well, we've been taking like Anton and I with her and, and, and Rena is that, you know, we, we've really made sure that her style of play is directly linked in with her personality. So we're not trying to make her be something she's not, right? So, because she's very more emotional player. It's more about how she feels and her gut and her trust and her feeling. And, and, and a lot of players have that feeling thing, but it's really, some really are analytical. And they need to understand like the steps and this is my strategy. Others, it's like, no, I just need to like, when it's time to go, I need to go, right? I'm just going to, I'm going to feel it. And when the time's right, I'm going to pull the trigger. And so the way we practice, the way we train, the way we drill, everything is about making sure that her personality, it's like matching who she is, right? So there's no conflict. So we got rid of all the conflict externally and internally. There's no question about anything. It's just, you know, we discuss it as a team. Like, this is what our approach is going to be. What do you think? Anton, I, my opinion, Anton's opinion, her opinion. And then we work together to find that perfect little balance of like, yep, that makes sense for all of us. And the thing, I think the last thing, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, she's learning how to manage her energy better rather than managing her time, which has been a big part of it. She's trusting, she really has a lot of trust in us as a team. And so for her, she, she, she knows that we're here no matter what for her, you know what I mean? And, and just that communication, like we all know each other's strengths and weaknesses. We all, we all understand what each other needs to perform our best, you know, in, in our perspective roles. And we support each other in that. We make sure that we all have that time to have a break, that time to have this, or to make sure that person is doing what they need to do to feel their best so we can perform our best. And and so there's a lot of that. And I'll, I'll say the, the last two things. <laughs> yeah, From a physical standpoint, the more, more tangible going. thing, the more more physical thing is, you know, when I started with her, she she was very strong, but she didn't really have much control of that strength, right? She had a lot of power, but it was just, it was very raw. She didn't have very good body awareness because she never really was taught how to move. She was never really exposed to like, I, I shouldn't say this to disrespect any previous coaches, but the quality was more like she was young and bigger than and stronger than all the other girls. So she was always just told, keep hitting the ball harder, as hard as you can. 
And that was her main thing. And it worked for like 80% of the time to get her where she was, right? But so for me, it's been really learning, teaching her like her body, like what works well for her body? How does her body respond to this? And making her more aware of like self-aware of what her body needs and doesn't need. Like when it needs to push, when it needs to back down, when it, you know, these movements work really well for you, but these things don't work so well. And when you feel this, this works well. So just educating her on her, her body awareness, I should say, and the, and the control of her strength. So giving her strength all through her range of motion and having control and awareness of that strength. And the other big one has been breathing mechanics. So breathing, pardon me in general, but also the breathing mechanics. Because if you look at old footage of her, every time she would take a deep breath or when she was like out of breath, it was like, like her, her neck and would tense up. She'd go straight up. Her shoulders would go up and it was always like this. Even if she was trying to take a deep breath, it was always here. And now I'll put her through some crazy workouts and she's dying. Her heart's exploding and she's out of breath and her neck and her shoulders aren't moving at all. Her ribs and her everything is expanding. So it's come to a point where it's not even just something she has to think about. It just naturally happens where she's really breathing more, more efficiently. She understands how that breathing can affect her emotional and her awareness and her control of her body and uh, her energy management. So... There's been a lot of things, you know, a lot of it though, is just the whole team is working together. You know, we're all involved in the process. Everyone knows that everyone is there for each other. And so I think that's been a, a really big part. So she can go out there and just be her, right? She trusts that as long as she goes out and bees herself, like that, we're always going to be there for her. And, and that's just how it is. So I think that's been a big part of it. Yeah. Amazing. And would you put communication down as like possibly the most important thing there for the team to work well? For sure, trust and communication is like a, a big part. I mean, that's it, it, it's all about that. Like Anton, the coach, and I, we talk every day. Like we you know WhatsApp chat or video or voice recording. Like we talk every day. I tell him about what I'm doing, what we're doing. You know, if I'm when I'm away, like right now, like I missed the Olympics. You know, but we're on the video chat and on you know WhatsApp every single day, several times a day at different times, whatever arenas. We we have the conversation with Arena, our group chat with her when it's you know when we have our message is clear like what we're going to, what we're approaching with and what we're, you know, what we're going to be doing. So she doesn't have to hear every little detail all the time because it's just too much, you know, information. They don't need to hear all these other things. Um, she just needs to know what to do. And, and, and then she gives us feedback and then she just gets it done. So the communication is huge. But, you know, there's a, there's a, a little, I don't know what a saying you might say or a precept or a concept that um, links all this stuff in together that I was taught one of the one of the um, people that helped me get off the streets and, and and you know move out of this this life that I had before was a, a martial arts instructor actually you know let me start training at this gym like where I lived it was really bad it was it was you know if you were to look at it, there was a bar graph of the crime rates where I was like there was the national and the state you know for violent crime was like you know near the bottom of the graph it was it was pretty bad but it was like you know the the graph and if you looked at the city I lived in it was literally like spiking off the charts. So it was violent crimes all the time. It was a really very bad place, very rough place where I was at for a while there during that period. And um, there was this old rundown building right between two adult bookstores, like adult porn shops, you know, like it was teaching martial arts. And, you know, I kept walking in there just watching the class. And, and a lot of the guys who trained, they were like law enforcement and things like this. And anyway, they let me start training there, even though I didn't have any parents to like sign off and say I could train there. And they really helped me get off the streets, but the the main instructor there, the sensei there, he had the saying he used to say was, um, which I, I've lived this one of the things I've really lived my life by is, you know, through loyalty, loyalty builds trust, right? Trust with trust you gain freedom. Yeah. And to maintain that freedom, remain loyal. So it's like full circle, right? And and that's and that's really what we've done as a team that, you know, we all know that we're all loyal to each other, we're loyal to ourselves and and, and to the team. Um we all have that freedom to express ourselves however we need to. 
the freedom to do what we need to do to get our job done. And everyone trusts that everyone is doing the right thing for each other. And so I think that's a, a big part of that. So yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's, imp- oh, it's important. Join over 10,000 people who have downloaded our free match and practice PDFs over at functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. Our match and practice PDFs help you plan and evaluate your matches and practices. We have some other free downloads there for you too. So make sure you go over to functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. And, and tell me, uh, Jason, you've worked with, obviously you worked at Arena now, you've worked with other world champions and we all know how hard these guys train but for all those guys who win world champions and become the best in the world and top there's others many more who train just as hard but don't make it in your eyes what separates the people picking up number one spots the gold medals who are standing on the podium who are getting the endorsement deals you could say what stands out for you well i mean that's i mean i would i would separate the question a little bit from the ones who make those, you know, win the championships, become world champion or number ones, all that stuff. And the ones that get all the marketing deals and all that, because sometimes it's not always the... True, you know, true. No, there's, good yeah, point. Yeah, so, because <laughs> there are some that are, yeah, you know, had that good. So um, that, my friend, is a massive question. <laughs> That's the trillion dollar question, isn't it? Like if everyone had the answer to that, then I don't I don't know if there's a... In your I eyes. Mean, there's almost, w- sure, sure. Oh, I'll give my opinion about it. I think there's a, a number of factors, but, you know, there is some general concepts and general habits and, and, and thing and mindset approach that I think the majority will share. Yeah. So there'll be like a things like, and, and nowadays with all the books and the podcast and the internet, you know, everyone has heard all these, like, you know, these motivational quotes and these like growth mindset stuff and all, you know, you know, all these different things, CBT and AACT and all these different psychological, you know, theories and approaches. But I think the, one of the differentiated factors is, is it's probably more about timing right? Like just all these like little pieces come together just at the right time in the right way. They found the right person on their team. You know, you know, they had the right kind of person for the team. They picked the right person for the team, you know, to, to, to fill a gap and to, and to, to, you know, for where that person is right now and understanding that like the, the people on the team or the, the environment that you have may change as you develop and you grow, like who you, who you needed for you to go from a junior to like, you know, a senior player to like an amateur to like a professional, you know, that person may not always be the same person. And it doesn't mean that any of those coaches were bad or great or good or worse or whatever. It's just each sort of works better maybe at different timing with that person. So I think a lot of it is timing. Um, if I were to look at more, try to be more specific because it's, it's, it's really tricky. Before I get more specific, I would say that, well, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that it's, while there's these general things overall sort of habits and consistent patterns that you find with a lot of the the champions of different sports and different, you know, environments or industries, it's still quite individual at the same time. You know, it's a lot of it is about timing. And like I said, having all the right things that kind of fall into place. And, and, and it's like, you know, I guess people use that analogy of like cooking a recipe, right? There's all these ingredients. It's finding the, the right amount of each of those ingredients at the right time, right? For you <laughs> and where you are right now, you know, cause that, that can change, like I said, but, um, I would say a couple of things. And, and I'm not going to talk about like resources and the environment that they have, because obviously that can make a difference. You know, if they have the resources and the money and the, you know, to be able to do different things and hire the coaches, all that. It's, I would say probably my number one would be the ones who can, they learn how to manage their energy better and not managing their time. 
And, and a lot of people focus so much on like how many hours they did something or how quote unquote hard something was. It's more learning how to manage their energy overall and, and, and also learning how to manage their focus, right? So I'm, I'm right now just assuming that, okay, everyone trains, everyone goes to the gym, everyone work, everyone's fast and strong. And, you know, if we're speaking tennis, everyone has a big serve. Everyone knows how to do a hit of forehand. You know, most, most everyone now knows that they need to do fitness on top of their, you know, their coaching of tennis. So I'm right now just speaking, basing, basing that, okay, everyone's physically capable, right? So we're past that point. Everyone's trained, everyone's strong and fit. So now you need to learn how to manage your energy, right? And manage your focus. And so managing energy is a lot of things. It's, it's how you, you know, you sleep, how you eat, how you look at the volume of the training that you have. It's, it's how often do you compete? Cause that's the other thing is that, you know, there's a, there's like your gym and practice fitness. Then there's your match fitness, right? And when I say fitness, I mean mental and physical fitness, right? And, and, and you only learn how to be a great competitor by competing. Like, you understand? You learn how to deal with the pressure by going through the pressure. So a lot of champions I've worked with, they've learned how to, they understand they have to go through the crap, not around it. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not trying to avoid it or make reasons. They like realize like, look, I have to go through this. I have to like, to develop this level of my game, I need to go and try it in a match. And because I'm still trying to figure out how to make it work, I'm probably going to fail. I'm probably going to, I'm, I'm potentially going to lose this match. But as, if I lost the match practicing this, this strategy or this tactic or this technique that I need to develop, like we've decided that's a big gap in my game for my, for me to go to the next level, then it's okay, right? To lose if I was putting the effort in, 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 in really improving this area of my game, right? Because my chances are, I will maybe not compete as well or, or, or the outcome won't be as great because I'm trying something different, right? But that's how you develop. So. Managing energy. Now, so the other thing when I say manage energy is and how to perform and compete. And I don't, honestly, I wish I could tell you where I got this from. It was been forever now, but I know there was a specific person. I can't remember where I got this from. So I, I'm really sorry. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to steal this, but like if someone hears this and they go, Oh, yeah, it's from so and so. I remember that book. I just don't remember. It was just, I've had it in my head. I've been looking forever to find out where that source was, but I can't. And there's four things that every performance, um, well, there's, there's two areas I'm going to talk about. One is there's these four things with the managing energy that, that you need to learn how to find the right balance of for you to perform your best. And there's attention, focus, arousal, and intensity, right? There's those four things. And, and, and for each person, and maybe even in each moment or each event, it's learning, okay, how much of each of those things do you need? Like, so attention and focus, a lot of people think, oh, it sounds the same, right? Attention and focus, same thing, but it's not. And just like arousal and intensity, some people think, oh, it's the same kind of thing. Each of those say intensity and arousal, while they sound similar, one is more broad and the other is very narrow, right? Um, attention and focus is the same thing. Attention is very broad, right? Focus is very narrow, right? So if you were to look at a performance, let's say you had a match today, that you're a coach and you had a player that's going to go play to the compete at Wimbledon, their first time at Wimbledon, right? And normally when they compete their best, you know, they're the type of player, the athlete who you know, after they do their warm up, they do their warm up hit, they do their thing. And then they like to like put the headphones on and kind of just be to themselves for a little while, right? They have that moment where they just switch off and they just kind of get their rackets and grips ready and do whatever. Um, but today, this particular athlete's like hopping around making jokes and talking and a little bit more energetic and interacting, which they may not seem nervous. They seem relaxed and they're just talking and, you know, a little ta very talkative or something. It's, it's the opposite of how they normally perform their best, right? And so as a coach, what I look at is going, okay, well, we know that this person right now seems like they're a little bit over aroused because they're very interactive. They're very talking. And for them, the way they perform their best is that arousal needs to be down a little bit, right? So I need to look at how can I get them to like bring that down, right? Without saying, hey, man, you're freaking out. 
I don't want to say that to them because then they're going to freak out even more. But I have to figure out, and they have to figure this out, right? Like it's, it's eventually they'll have that self-awareness of where they might need to need a little bit of nudge and they'll get themselves back on track. But they'll, they'll have a routine that they figure out over time and experience and effort of how to get themselves in that right place of having the right amount of each of those elements, the attention, focus, intensity, and arousal. Um, you know, focus and attention, like, you know, attention might be like, you notice all the crowd, you notice the cameras, you notice the ball kids, you know, all these, the wind, the weather, the ball, the heat, the humidity, like what the bird, <laughs> you have it, you're noticing all these things, you know, and it's learning how, okay, like some people need to have that broader view. Like for me, I know like when I compete in jujitsu, for example, if I'm sparring, I like to have this like, almost like switch off in a more broader attention on things. I don't really focus on one thing. And I find when I have that, that, that perfect balance of more attention, a little bit less focus, like a little less, you know, narrowed view of things, I perform my best. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of, of learning how to find that, that balance of, of all those things. And, and look, I mean, God, there's so many things to that question. I could talk for years about this, but yeah. you know, every performance, I think there's, there's those three elements, you know, there's your approach on how you're going to approach this particular event, you know, this match, this person, this, you know, this opponent, there's a result of this, you know, happening. And then there's your response. So every performance has that exact same. Every every rally has this, every shot, every match. So, so point, 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 there's an approach, right? Like how you decided to make that shot, the result of that shot, and your response to what happens next, right? So there's always these constant like little things and, and people focus too much on the result, like where the ball landed or how they hit it back, all that kind of stuff. And that's something you can never control. So it's accepting the fact that you can't control any response, um, any result. It's You can control how you respond to something and how you approach it, right? And so I'll say one more thing. <laughs> For me, I think every sport, whether it's individual or otherwise, it, it's the ones who succeed. Yes, they have all those, you know, there, there might be some outliers, there might be some mental things and some timing and some, you know, whatever, genetics and all these things. There's a lot of things. But I think it's the ones that really put the right people around them at the right time and, and really surround themselves with the right people, making sure that people around them are, are capable of, bringing them to that level, but also that they're truly there for them, right? They're not just there for the, uh, um, for the glamour or for the money, you know, or for the, you know, the job. They're just trying to tick a box. Or um, a friend of mine used to say, I remember years ago, he said, you know, people are chasing, chasing tracksuits, I think he said. Like, they just want the job because they want the tracksuit. You know, they want the, to wear the, the, the uniform, you know. So I think it's finding the right people to surround yourself with and making sure that, you know, you, you, you need to compete a lot you need to have the right team around you and you really need to learn how to be, this is a separate thing. Like I mentioned with Arena, like the big thing that for her was the difference is understanding that, you know what, you're going to have to just commit to whatever team and whatever approach that you decided that you want to commit to, right? Meaning, I mean, tennis is notorious for this. Like how many players do you know are constantly hopping around coaches, hopping around different trainers, hopping around different, like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know anyone that has made it you know, look at all these guys and gals who have done really, really well consistently. They're not every other week changing coaches, are they? They're not every other week, you know, you know, hopping around different trainers and trying different things constantly. It's like, no, it's like they found something that makes sense to them and they trust and they believe and they work through that process, all the ups and downs and all arounds. And so I would say just compete a lot and, and find the right team and just commit to it. Just be open and be vulnerable and just go. Just, okay, I'm going to get everything I have to this approach. Right. Yes, we'll always review it. We're always going to like, you know, tweak and, and adapt as we go. But 
man, you need to just commit to something and make it happen. So it, it all makes sense. My last question to you, Jason, was going to be I know you've answered this. Oh, sorry. Is, <laughs> But no, it's going to be for juniors, a lot of parents, listeners and junior player listeners. And I always ask coaches or players what advice you have for them. But I'm gathering your answer, and it should be you speaking here, not me, is surround yourself with people who are going to help you get to where you want to get. That would be one of the biggest things. Build a team around you. There's, It's all, even individual sports, it's still a team. And that's what people have to understand is, is, you know, Yes, the, that player has to go out there and do it on their own out there. They're on the court by themselves, but there's still a team behind them, where it's the parents, coaches, the other players, you know, and they're, they're the teammates, it's colleges, physiologists, partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands. <laughs> like it's all part of that. It all has influence on those things. Um, you know, so I'd say those two things is build the team around you and stick, stick with them. Just like you would expect them to stick behind you and give you everything that they have. Well, you should be doing the same thing as an athlete. Like a hundred percent, like people, people always talk too much about how the coaches and their commitment and the team and all that stuff it was like, no, like, like, no, yes. I mean, yes, <laughs> but it, it's a two way street. Like you're athlete, as an athlete, if you're not listening to this as an athlete or you're as a coach, why you should instill in your athletes that it's their job to make sure that their coaches are looked after, that the, the people around their team have the best chance to do the best that they can, just like they're trying to do for you. They're trying to create an environment for you to perform your best and you need to do everything in your power to do the same for them. Because it is a team effort, right? Treat them with respect. That's a big part. I mean, it's you just have to have that. I have not seen, and I've been in a lot of teams, and I've helped a lot of people go from like you know a certain level to qualifying for Olympic teams to meddling to you know I've been through that journey with the many athletes in many sports, and it's always that there's this relationship amongst the team, and everyone is understand that we're all here for each other, and we all need to look out for each other, right? And and we stick by each other. Right. There's no fear of like, I'm going to lose my job or, you know, I got to do this to do that. It's like, no, we're, we're just all here focused on that one thing. Yeah. And the other, I would say, like I already mentioned too, is, you know, compete. Your kids need to learn how to compete. And can I, can I just add, I don't know how much time we have, but let me add this. After every practice, it, you do this. But if you can't do it after every match, win, lose, or draw, it doesn't matter. You ask yourself those three big questions every single time. Right. And be specific, be clear. And make it very objective on something that you have 100% control over, right? So your answers to these specific, 100% controllable and very clear. And it takes practice to be able to get to those kind of responses, right? These answers. But the three big questions, what worked well, what didn't work well, and what's the plan? After every, doesn't matter if you win and you just six love, six love, I don't care. Every time, win, lose, or draw, you ask yourself those three questions. On that day, what worked well, whether it was how you slept the night before, how you prepared, how you warmed up, in the match, after the match, from before through the match to the end, what worked well, what didn't work well? Because there's always going to be something, even if you got destroyed, right? It was just the worst day of your life on the mat, on the court. There's still going to be something that you did well. Maybe you still follow your routine or I, 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 went, I did the best I could to apply the plan that we agreed on, my strategy, whatever it is. But be specific, be clear, be objective on things that you could control. And so that way, every one of your performances, you're learning, you're constantly evolving. You're learning how to also find the things that objectively did work well for you. Because it's easy if you have a bad day to think, oh, it was all bad. And maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just one of those days. Maybe it was the opponent. I mean, who knows, right? And then when you're winning, it's so easy to be thinking, oh, everything's great. But no, even if you killed it, there's something that you missed or something that you didn't do so well that you can improve on. So have a habit of just step back and, and, and do that. And then maybe get your coaches to do the same thing for themselves. What did you as a coach do well and didn't do so well? What can you do about it? So compete a lot and make sure you debrief 
with very clear things to, together. And, and then if you can, share that with your teammate, like your coach or your trainer or whatever, and, and, and get feedback, go back and forth about the responses. Because firstly, it has to come from you, right? But also it's good to hear other people's feedback because there may not be something that you realized. You might be thinking, oh, I did this all the time. And you're like, you never do that once on the court. Let's go watch the video. Like, no, I did this. Yeah. I did it. Like, well, show me on the video because I didn't see it happen once. <laughs> that that happens in all areas of life where you're like, oh, no, like I've played matches. My <laughs> wife has been, you didn't have much energy there. And I'm like, I did. And you look yeah. at a video and you're like, yeah, it didn't look that way yes. now. But sometimes internally you, f you feel a bit different to what you look externally. But in general, of course, if if you're not pumped, if you if you think you're pumped inside, you're going to show a bit of that on the outside. There'll be some sort of sign of it, of course. So, yeah. Yes. And, and look, the last thing with those parents and, and the youth is like, which I answered again, just, you know what? Stop hopping around coaches, you know? And, and look, actually, you know what? Just because the coach, like I have people wanting me to work with me because I've worked with all these like famous people and I've had all these great results and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no, I'm like, doesn't mean I'm the best coach for you. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have a certain approach. And a certain expectations, just like I, you'll have expectations of me, but it may not always work out. Like just because I have this name or I work with Arena Sabalinka right now, for example, right? So all these tennis kids are like, yeah, I'll work with Jason. You know, I get parents ask me, oh yeah, yeah, be just because I work with her. Not because they know anything about how I train people. Yeah, It's like, well, no, find the right person that you, you can trust and that will, will nurture your child and, and, and help them grow as a, as a person, not just as an athlete, and that you can trust with them to help guide them through this process and get through the stressful moments and learn how to deal with failure and, and winning and losing and all that stuff. Not just because their resume has like certain numbers on it or they have a big name and they own like a massive academy or something. Well, normally when there's the big names involved in it, the price is normally too much, you know? That's what usually that happens. Once there's big names, you're like, so it's expensive for the parents and whoever else, but... That is true. That is true. That is it. Yeah. But <laughs> Jason, thank you very much. I love your... Your way of coaching, as I said, uh, I've seen your videos. I know what you do. I've sent you messages about it before. And you've done a great job with Arena. So congrats yeah, and thank all you your other athletes. So we hope to see her, you know, hit the number one at some stage. Oh, it'll happen. Don't worry. We'll get there. <laughs> and yeah, thanks a lot. And I'll be keeping an eye on your videos. Um, We're going to share some more of them. You're going to send me more of the videos. The, sure, if you like. Some yeah. of the workouts. <laughs> and that's what, our, that's what our followers love seeing. Uh, a lot of those training exercises from different trainers working with their players. So we'll sure. get them out there. And thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. And uh, hey, look, if anyone listening has any questions, feel free to, you know, reach out. I'm always happy to share and help out. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Jason was full of great knowledge. You can find him on his Instagram page and his handle is at JasonStacy underscore coach. Give him a follow, check out his videos. We'll be having some of his videos on our page also. And until the next episode, goodbye. Goodbye.